throat scabies. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. Great way to intro. Always great ways to intro. Well, throat that, scabies. I, it's an inside joke between James Thomas and a lady named Abby and I. And I used to get sick and I still, I, I've transitioned jobs and I've been sick ever since I took the new one. Is that psychosomatic, gentlemen? I don't know. I, I don't know if we need to turn the somatic on there. Yeah, uh, you know what I found out this week? You're I have the point. narrowest windpipe that you could possibly have. That does not shock me for some reason. Did I don't you, know. So you found that out, but you still haven't learned that dogs can look up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can, Joe, Chad. They scientists just... don't know why, and scientists don't know why ice is slippery. Look it up. So why did you find out you had a did, was this a was this a jaunt in the prison? No, uh, so as uh, behind the scenes stuff, I had COVID like earlier this year, and as a result, well, I don't was keep having, it all for yourself. Uh, I was per- it was nothing. I had no I had no real big symptoms, but uh, one of the after effects of having COVID was I had like al- almost had narcolepsy. I would just fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Um, so they wanted me to go and see a sleep specialist and that's why I saw the sleep specialist this week and he looked at my throat and he goes, yeah, I can barely see down that you have, uh, it's called a grade four, uh, windpipe. And then he goes, you can't see any, I can't see anything down that, which I is why I don't, uh, again, behind the scenes, uh, except if you watch one of our, actually, if you watch one of our episodes, I forget which one it was. It was one of our early episodes where me and James just get into a huge laughing fit. And you all know when I get into a huge laughing fit, like I lose my voice and like sometimes I'll wheeze for a while. That's why. So not only that. I thought it was all the damn snoring. Not Mm -mm. only that. You So you've got a narrow windpipe, but you've also got one of them devious septums. It's not deviated. It just lies all the time. You know what that means, though, with a narrow windpipe? Hmm. Steven Seagal can't do shit to me. Can't hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he in Russia now? I mean, are, are, are he's you somewhere as long as he's not here bothering us? I don't give a shit. I don't know. I thought he did move to Russia. Should no, he, I uh, think he did. Putin put him in charge of uh, some. Uh, it's the way you say Putin. It's Putin. Just hilarious to me. Chad. I know it does. Too. It makes me. It's, it's and it's and you say it in a way with that with that with that Moorhead uh, just Putin. Well, here's by the way, I got to tell the story real quick because we Is don't have a, a show Putin going story? on. Oh, sort of. Uh, as Joe pointed out, I do have a, an accent, and, and where I'm not working where I grew up, and I try to enunciate, but I was in a meeting, and we were talking about outreach. But where you worked at, which we won't divulge, the accents uh, there are a lot thicker than ours. It's a Mississippi, I told everybody. But they're different, right? It's, and that's the entire thing. The, the, you grow up thinking you don't have an accent, it's everybody else, right? Anyway, I was saying the word tribal as in related to the indigenous American, Native Americans, tribal colleges. Yes. And they kept going, what? What? And finally, uh, I said, you know, indigenous Americans, they're colleges, they're sovereign colleges. I was in a meeting with six people online. Four of them immediately goes, we really thought you were saying travel, as in to go from one place to another. And I was like, really? And I I didn't think anything of it. Then I was teaching the other night, and because I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm inclusive to all students and all learning styles, I've started That's your turning on, I've started turning on closed captions in Zoom meetings. So it automatically closed. 
son of a gun. I said tribal colleges and it literally popped up travel colleges. And I'm like, and I literally stopped the class and pointed to it and was like, Did, how many people thought I said travel? And everybody looks at me like I was crazy. So evidently, evidently, yes, my, my enunciation, even though I do work on it. And when I'm in a professional setting, I try to be professional. Evidently, I still, as my father would say, suck. And you know, it's kind of funny that we're having this conversation about history and uh, Putin. Guys, what's our topic today? James we, Putin. We are doing an episode about, so so uh, I don't know if y'all know this, if y'all have watched any film, uh, but, but sometimes, movie. sometimes movies come out and they're big hits and, and Oppenheimer came out. Oh yeah. And uh, it's been, it's been doing well. And it, so I was thinking who else, that hasn't had a biography film made needs one. And, and so when we need an episode, I said, we should do who we would like to, who we, who would we watch a film based on the life of who? So that was, that was my pitch for this episode. And we did, I believe we did a, a mini segment for this on our fun sizes for our Australian compatriots, Glenn and I Ben. For a good I don't movie Monday. remember doing that. I'm pretty sure we did. I could be wrong. No, I don't know, I but let's you. let's hold on. Let's say that we absolutely did, and this can be like one of those. Uh, what's that movie that doesn't exist that stars Sinbad that some people still are convinced? Oh, where he's us? a genie, yeah, yeah, where he's a genie. That's uh, 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 Sinbad genie movie. Uh, it's Kazam, Kazam, because it's there is a Shaquille O'Neal one, but mm -hmm. people are convinced there was a Sinbad movie where he played a genie, and that's not true. It's uh, it's called the Mandela effect. So many people believe it's true. So let's go ahead and automatically demand that absolutely it did happen. And that way, if, if uh, Glenn and Ben or anybody else come back and be like, no, we never got that. We can be like, nope, nope, it aired. We remember it. Yeah. I remember it. I was uh, in a kidney-shaped pool surrounded by my fans when it premiered. I remember it fondly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm going to be, uh, yeah, I don't have a lot for this one. This one was tough and we just figured it out a little while ago and I was trying to go back and forth and anybody do anything about that Napoleon? Um, um several people tried, but really I, Scott ended up with it. Uh, yeah. Well, because that was his lifelong dream was to do Napoleon. Yeah. And instead, and when he didn't get that, he, I believe that's why he made Barry Lyndon, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. Well, and I mean, you know, it's, it's an important figure to discuss because your mom went to college. <laughs> I had to get that in there. It's the only line I remember. I don't even know why I'm laughing. It's the only line I remember. I don't know why I'm laughing. I don't know. There's something about Taylor Tots, too, I guess I could have used. but. <sighs> oh, I mean, it's kind of funny. When James said it, I pulled three right off the bat. Well, yeah, because totally, you guys are going to have to fill it in. So they haven't done that Napoleon picture like I want to. I can I do want to talk about one in particular before you guys get started though. Sure. And it's not a person. Can I say that there are not a lot of pictures about the War of eighteen twelve? No, no, you're absolutely no. right. Why is that? Because it's not. It's I, like the, I, it's one of those it happened, but it's the same thing as like the Korean War. It was it's it's a it's it's a part of history, but people just don't cover a lot of it. I, I'm going to say Korean, this in the most the Korean War got mash. 
I know in eight in eighteen twelve. I mean, we did. I mean, if we didn't have eighteen twelve, we probably wouldn't have Andrew Jackson, which might have well, benefited say, America. Yeah. But but <laughs> I I must say this is the most Hollywood way I can. It's not sexy enough. I don't know. Did you it's see what eighteen twelve was wearing the other day? It's not. You know what I'm saying though. Like uh, the. The the American Revolution. Oh, we went against England. Oh, it's a and and yeah, it's it's almost Joe. What you're proposing is the the American Revolution is the sting. Oh, it's oh you see that? Look at that that cast. Look at that yeah. film. Well written, all that stuff. What you want is the sting too. It's just yeah. hard to sell a, a studio on. Hmm. Also, because most people don't know what history is. <laughs> I, I I don't mean to say that condescendingly to you morons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't calling you morons. I was talking to people that don't know what. No, I, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I I think honestly, I think as Chad and Chad pointed out, like Andrew Jackson stuff. I don't think outside of one or two names, enough people know major figures from that war. Yeah, the fact that so many of our founding fathers were involved with the American Revolution, and the fact that, quite frankly, the Civil War gets brought up all the time, makes them ripe for films. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I mean, I agree with you. I would watch one if it was done and done well. And yeah, you know. But I. But you're you're right. You're and if I'm right. not mistaken, that war ended with Andrew Jackson slaughtering a bunch of people after the war had officially ended. But he didn't. He didn't want to give it up. He just wanted to go kill more people after the war ended. <laughs> Yeah, there, yeah, there's, and it's, it's kind of the second, it's the forgotten second revolutionary war, right? Right, right. And I just, it's one of those, yeah, and you may be right, it may be like Korea, it's just, but, but the Korean, that's also not technically a war, correct? Like Vietnam's not technically a war. It's a no, it's a police a, action. It was police action. police action. Correct? Yeah. And I mean, also too, like I said, it's the war of 1812 when... I can't, I, I, y'all are, I'm, I'm horrible at math, but what less than 50 years earlier was the war that created the country. And, you know, yeah, it's less that, than 50 years. It's basically the second, it's the second revolutionary. No, no, that's what I'm saying same, is that, same, yeah. you know, just the second one didn't super, it's not the dark night of revolutionary wars. <laughs> so nobody wants to make it. Make it uh, it's just funny. I don't know why that's funny, but it's funny. All right, gentlemen. I like saying gentlemen now. Gentlemen, Putin, gentlemen. This is the one we. Gentlemen. This is the one we. I I came up with. Uh, we we did this for the small segment, which, by the way, I verified we did do. Um, but it's been a while, and I I think it deserves a repeat. I don't understand why Hollywood has not done a biopic on Tiny Tim. I. I agree with you a hundred percent. And did we talk in that in that small segment? Did we yeah. talk about my uncle meeting him? No, my uncle met him in an airport. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was he just was he just as weird as he is? I mean, my uncle actually never had anything but wonderful things to say about him uh, when he met him, and my yeah. uncle was a fan of him because my my uncle passed away a few years ago, and and uh, my mother's brother. Not my dad's brother. He's still he's still with us, evangelizing. But <laughs> he was of that age where he was a tween teenager watching Tiny Tim on TV. Right. So it was a big deal for him to meet him. And second of all, Tiny Tim, I think, was more than happy to talk to a fan that day. Right. 
and was talking. I about think he was more than happy to talk to a fan any day. Well, I don't know. I I just yeah. my uncle never said anything but wonderful things about Tiny Tim and how he took the time to talk about what he was trying to how he was trying to reinvigorate his career and whatnot. But Tiny Tim is really a one-off, one-joke, right? Kinda. I mean, he was a talented. You know more about Tiny Tim than I do. He was a talented musician. I mean, he could play the ukulele, but just didn't get. He just. Uh, if you don't know who Tiny Tim is, yeah, if that's you know probably song, we should start with that, right? Yeah, if you don't know who Tiny Tim is, if you've ever heard the song "Tiptoe Through the Tulips," and if it's you've ever seen Insidious, it's because of Tiny Tim. Um. So what? What? Insidious. That's the song that the, that's the, the, song. The, the evil spirit. Yeah. If you've never, it's really creepy. They do a really good job. It's actually one of the best. I just uh, watched the first two. I don't remember tiptoe through the tulips. Through through it's all the way through the first movie, bud. Oh my god, I've already. It was an okay film. It was just a rehash of Poltergeist. So that's probably oh. why I just. Oh, I don't. I disagree. Actually, I disagree. I just. Yeah, I think Insidious is really good. And I, I didn't I, say it wasn't good. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it is a rehash of Poltergeist. No, I. But no, because Carol Ann, well, I think it's a rehash of maybe the third poltergeist or second because they're chasing Carol Ann. But um, I, uh, you possess the kid, you, you possess you the kid, you can't leave the house. Yeah, but I don't, I, I, I watched the first two and I just immediately forgot everything about them. I, I enjoyed them, I'm not bashing it, um, but I just don't remember anything about it. But yeah, um, it was even in the trailer, yeah, I never watched the trailer. So well, I'll take or the, he never seen. watched the film that he watched. <laughs> you never seen it, did you? You just you just lied to us, right? I now. watched part one and two on HBO on sorry, Max. You do go on. You do <laughs> go on. But no, um, he was this weird gym guy Gaslight who motherfucker. Tall, <laughs> long curly hair. Which is the name of my new superhero. Gaslight motherfucker. <laughs> my white hating, sorry. <laughs> Don't know where that's coming from. But if there was a race that way, hey, white is the way to go. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he was just this weird and weird guy who could play the ukulele and play it well. Um, and you know, he 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 was he was raised very very Christian, even though he was uh very introverted. Couldn't go out. He couldn't go out. He didn't go out a lot, and then eventually dropped out of high school after repeating the sophomore year numerous times. Really? Yeah. And then he ends up playing at a flea market in Times Square where he he gets discovered eventually. And then he at least this rising career in the uh, 60s and 70s where he appears on all these different shows. Um, And then, you know, he his uh, his marriage, his first marriage was aired on The Tonight Show to over 40 million viewers. Oh, I didn't know any of this. Keep going. Yeah. I want to see this movie. You should make it. That's what I'm saying. It would make a great movie. And then, of course, he just keeps doing his stick. Based it on Insidious. Of course, you're going to have to watch it. Um, <laughs> Actually, then, no, in Chad's film, the Insidious soundtrack will play in the background of yeah. Tiny Tim. It's meta. It's, it's so meta. I never heard this before. <laughs> I mean, and there was this whole there was this whole debate about whether or not this person was a, a, a character or was this the real person when in actuality this was tiny this was tim this was tiny tim this is who he was um uh and then you know he he then dropped out of he dropped out of fame and then he had this weird career there for for about a decade or two where he would just appear randomly uh at concerts 
uh, and uh, he got married three times. Each each marriage, and then his last marriage before he died was uh, uh, a a fan of his when she was twelve. If that tells you anything, when she first saw him. Well, she wasn't twelve when they married, right? No, no, she was thirty nine when they eventually married. Oh, um, better. I'm trying to uh, hold on. I'm trying, and then um, there was one concert in 1970 where he actually. It's called the Isle of Wight Festival in the, the United Kingdom, where he just rocked out the show, and it was actually better than anybody who appeared there. He was notoriously famous for that. Um, and then of course, like I said, he just had meteoric. He he would he would appear off and on through television for for oh, another two decades, and then he eventually died right after filming Private Parts. Uh, oh. His career is insane and i don't know how come there has not been a movie yet you all there, there this is it's too much of a it's too interesting of a story to not tell you think it's 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 i don't want to say a rights issue or his estate doesn't want it done or i don't i mean his estate surely would want a movie a movie done on him because there's not i mean it's not like they're getting a lot of residuals from his career i, don't, I it's a good question i didn't know that there he was that interesting yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a documentary from 2020 uh, called uh, Tiny Tim King for a Day. Uh, it's from a Swedish journalist. I have not checked it out. I would like to see it. And I mean, there's been several uh, biographies done on him. But again, it's just there has not been one film and there should be. Hmm. So, James, what do you got? Yeah, I, I'm going to go non. This is this is it's not a. It is a public figure, but it's not a public figure from film or television or music or anything. But I think it'd be a fascinating story, kind of like Oppenheimer. Um, and before I do it, I will I will use his most famous quote. There is a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels and upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. One of the best, most influential, and did so many other things in that speech, student protesters of all time, was Mario Savio. Uh, this book is about him, Freedom's Order. There's a ton of books about him. There's never been a, a film, though. And there really should be because he not only was a huge part of student protests in the 60s at Berkeley, but he went to Mississippi and taught in the Freedom Schools when that was a dangerous thing to do. He was he, he was debating university presidents even when he was older, saying you've got to give students rights. You can't do these things. So he participated in the freedom marches. He was all over civil rights. And he was followed constantly by the FBI most of his life. So he's just um, like us. And so, um, and by this the way, was during, this it, was during the Hoover years, right? Uh, let's see. It would have been 1960s. So it was, yes. yeah. Dad yeah. hoovered up so much. And Lyndon Johnson, Johnson and Hoover. Johnson yeah. was not a big fan of his either. Um, and so when he was protesting for fair rights for everybody, all that stuff, but also saying uh, public universities need to be transparent and all the stuff, some of the stuff that we kind of take for granted and may even debate if it's still happening the way it should. But, um, but in 1999, 
the FBI finally owned how much they had spent to just do surveillance on just him. Um, they had uh, about what all they did to quote unquote get at him. And so there's hundreds and hundreds of pages of just FBI files on this guy. And some of the things that they did was uh, they violated his rights by collecting without any court order personal information from schools. They would go into schools and bully them until they basically would, you know, they threatened to take their funding away if they didn't give them all of his private information, his home phone numbers, what utility companies he used, all this stuff. They had constant monitoring on him so they could do day to day. And they also uh, made a habit of contacting all his neighbors, landlords, and employers, uh, basically saying they had to also report anything they saw him do. They uh, illegally obtained all his tax returns to track how much money he was making, if he did any sort of uh, presentations or anything like that. And he was on a list of, quote-unquote, uh, which was unauthorized, a list of people who could be detained without warrant, which is, by the way, illegal. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he, he, by the way, died relatively young. Born in 1942, he died at age 53 in 1996. But was this major force, talking about socioeconomic injustice, racial injustice, all that stuff, a lot of what people think about the protest movements at Berkeley, not the, I, I, I'm not being dimin, uh, diminishing here or, or right. cruel, not the free love ones, but the ones that are like, this is wrong and we're going to take a stand. A lot of that came from, Mario Savio and, and the groups that he got involved with and the fact that it wasn't just Berkeley. He did travel to Mississippi. He did go all these places. Um, and, you know, one of his quotes about that even was, are we on the side of the civil rights movement or have we gotten back to comfort and security of Berkeley? And can we forget the sharecroppers whom we worked with just a few weeks ago? Well, we can't forget. And so, that also helped bring this idea of, you know, Berkeley, when when there was the peace, love, whatever kind of concepts or the, hey, we just want this. Or he was also constantly saying, no, 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 you have to be aware. You have to be globally aware. You have to. And now we talk about global citizenship and all of that stuff. But that really is some of what Mario Savio was arguing for. Now that he wasn't a saint, he wasn't perfect, but he's a fascinating story that kind of tells a counter narrative of what like to be a student. What was it like to be, you know, anybody during those moments? And uh, yeah, he just, uh, and, and after he died, they set up a lecture fund to keep freedom of speech and everything going. And some of the people who backed that included uh, Cornell West, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Elizabeth Warren. It really was both sides of the political spectrum got really involved because they realized how much he had done. And so, again, there's not been, uh, as a matter of fact, by the way, anonymous, the online hackers, uh, sometimes claim that they're doing what they do in his spirit. Um, but there's not been a biography about him, a film, a biographical film about him. And it just, it cuts across so much. We see tons of biographies about people in the sixties or, or different political figures. He definitely was a political figure, but we've not seen a film about him. And and I think it would be fascinating to really look at what was going on because it wasn't just all, Oh, we're protesting because we're sad or we're, you had people that were actually saying none of this is right. 
And if education is just reproducing a culture that allows racism, sexism, bias, hate, then we have to, and that's so that speech about you have to throw yourself upon the gears of the machine. By the way, the full speech is obviously longer, is kind of a response to that because when he would try to meet with the president and say, Can we have these conversations? The president just said, No. By the way, the president also was a famous university president. Clark Kerr and the idea of multi uh, multiversities, right? Multiple campus locations and things like that. Clark Kerr was a huge supporter of it. And uh, yeah, so anyway, but it's a story that I don't think you'd have to be an educational fan to enjoy. It almost fits in kind of the same conversation as um, obviously very different, but as films like Malcolm X and it's about people realizing things are wrong and trying to take a stand. And so I'm, I'm shocked nobody's done a Mario Savio film. He's a fascinating, complicated, much like Oppenheimer, sometimes questionable figure, but that would be a fascinating character study. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. That was a great help. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were just, uh, you just went on and uh, we wanted to let you go because we didn't know who you were talking about. Well, that, that's why. That's why we need the film because see, <laughs> see, Joe, why? I you just told anything, us everything. If no, I, I learned, like I've seen any, the movie. If I learned anything from watching that Sutter Kane film, not everybody reads, but we'll make a movie. Yeah. By the way, there's four people that were like, he said Sutter Kane. He said Sutter Kane. Oh my God, it's totally not ripped off of Lovecraft. Oh, you know what? That wouldn't be bad. Why don't we have a Lovecraft movie? Because they'd have to deal with his races. Oh, that's his, the other his... thing. Him and Robert, um, Robert E. Howard. Robert yeah. E. Howard. Conan. Creator of Conan. They, I, they're books of letters. Literally, they wrote letters back and No, that's the guy who hosts Late Night. Blink. Blink, blink. You said Conan. Not Conan. Yeah. But I... I Come agree. at me, bro. But let's dig Come into me, racism. Oh, no, I think it should be. Because I think that's one of the reasons that some people are hesitant to suicide. Yeah. Let's not forget all about that. What, but Lovecraft or Howard? They both commit suicide. Well, I mean, there's already been a biograph, uh, biography on Howard, but where Leonardo DiCaprio played him, uh, not, Leon, not Vincent what? D'Onofrio. I've never seen it. What is it called? I couldn't tell you. Oh, that's a weird name for a movie about the creator of uh, Solomon Kane. No wonder. Now I'm, now I'm gonna look it up while you two talk. Well, and because and we're going back and forth, but Lovecraft is another one. I do have one, and they've made movies about events Oliver Stone tried to make the movie with warts and all and Spielberg stopped it about Martin Luther King yeah yeah and do we want to talk about this for a minute well I mean I, I we totally can talk about it within the context of because I think Oliver Stone Wanted to do warts and all the women. Um, the thing. Real quick, the Rome. whole 1996, the whole wide world. Oh, in wow. 1933, Texas, a school teacher and aspiring writer meets a pulp fiction writer, and a relationship soon develops between the two, but is doomed by his slavishly devotion to his ailing mother and insistence on his freedom. Uh, it's Renee Zellweger, and it's as Robert E. Howard. Oh, I've I've never even heard of it. I'd like to find. It. No, I'll have to check that out. I wonder if it has the poem that he left on his on his uh, typewriter when he decided he was going to kill himself. So back to Martin Luther King, 
we've had people portray him, of course, in movies, and we've had slight, but we've never had the end all movie about him. And like I said, Oliver Stone really wanted to do it, but he wanted to not just talk about. And let's be honest, we tend to put people on a pedestal, the American people. Oh, I'm I'm going to get into that in my last pick. And we tend to then try to tear them down, but that's one when we don't. So when actually I was in Memphis at that famous hotel, I was with the tour guide and we were talking about stuff and I brought it up and he shut me down and wouldn't even discuss it. And I don't, no, and maybe it's my personality. I don't particularly give a shit what people are doing in their bedrooms, and I don't particularly care what two consenting adults in a in a, in a very in a very curious uh, aardvark. I don't care. I don't. It doesn't affect me what who they are, what they do. It, I don't care. Um, why do you think we are so hesitant to talk about the other side of Martin Luther King? I think one of the reasons for that is is that there is it's a very serious topic for our show. I apologize. There is some concern though about how much of that is completely about not, not because well, the FBI. Well, but the FBI also has been accused of amping up some of the speaking of FBI mm-hmm. surveillance of exaggerating is the only word I can say. But there's there's other warts in all things that you can point out. And actually, I didn't know I was going to do this, but it just so happens I have my copies of it on my desk. Just happens that I wrote this dissertation. Uh, if you've not read John Lewis's March, the graphic novel series of three books in that that he wrote, mm-hmm. you should, because if you, I, honestly, I'm with you, Joe. I don't, whether or not he was faithful. And, I, that's I don't not give it. a shit. The thing actually that made me go, oh, is John Lewis, who, by the way, we should have respect for, and probably this should be made into a movie too. But John Lewis talks about in here when he was a student, um, part of the student group, that would uh, he was shocked because King used, and I'm sorry, people, I used to know the name and I'm blanking on it, of course, because I didn't write it down and didn't know I'd be talking about this. But there was a famous protest african-american male protest arranger and king used him but wouldn't publicly admit to using him because he was openly gay Mm -hmm. and so it's very funny i I know who you're talking about and i can't remember his name see it's it's right there and i can't but there's there's a scene in march where john lewis talks about he martin luther king made him use the back entrance to the planning events so no way you'd see him walk in. Yep. And that's, to me, a fascinating and compelling aspect of it. Does that change the impact that King had on everybody? No. But does it tell us a little bit about we can't afford your identity to impact our mission? I agree. At best, at best that's the reading of that. And once again, we're talking about people. God, I hate the term. I bitch about people using it all the time, other times. And Bayard Rustin. Thank you. He was Thank trying. You. It's we well, and, and we, we part... look at things through the lens of where we're at rather yeah. than the lens of where they were. 
Yeah, I was going to say, and that's it. In all fairness, I do I, understand. Is that the best way I can put it? That, I do understand why, why I can understand both sides of that, right? Yep. You're literally trying to establish rights for these people, the majority of these people that you are serving, that you're engaged with, and you can't take on one more thing. And that, that has been a repeated thing through history when a lot of um, women suffragists, right, that they, they had a lot yep. of African-American allies. And then all of a sudden, when women got the right to vote, those partnerships ended and they did not seek the enfranchise. I'm speaking broadly. A lot of individuals did stick by, did stand by. But there is so I think I think that's that's what's interesting to me. And I obviously I mean, obviously Martin Luther King did so much and if if nothing else, his words matter so much. But I do think it's one of the things that much like I said with Mario Savio, his words were powerful. They impacted a lot of people. They made a lot of people realize, yeah. even though we're in California, we should care about the sharecroppers. We should. This has an impact. That doesn't make Mario Savio perfect either. He's a fascinating and important human being that we should consider and study. And that's the same way I apply that. But none of us are perfect. I mean, and I think that's I think that's one of the that's things that, the that biographies can it. do. That's the brilliant part. So to me, it doesn't diminish him in any way mm -hmm. so much as it just shows that no one's perfect. He didn't walk on water. And in some ways, that makes it more important, I think, right? Because here's the problem <laughs> when we make these films where these people are unobtainably perfect. I can't be like that. So why am I going to try to help as many people as he helped? Whereas if we make films that show, as you said, warts and all, okay, I make mistakes, I've messed up, but if they've messed up and still had an impact, maybe I can. And right. I think that's almost more inspiration. I think there's something to that when you realize this is a flawed character, there's a flawed human being, if we're doing a biography, but at the same time, look at what they did. Look at what they, I mean, and if they can do it, what's my excuse? And so I think there is a need for warts and all biographies. I agree. Yeah, my turn. Mm -hmm. So I was going to do, I was going to say this for last, but this is kind of a transit. I think this is a smooth transition to uh, what was going to be my last. Uh, there needs to be a film on Una Judge. Either one of you? Oh no, Judge. Nope. It sounds familiar, but go I'd with say, it. I'd pretend I'm an idiot. This shouldn't be hard. So George Washington is martyr. He he's a he's a he's the the picture perfect American. He's the one who brought up our country and turned it into the great uh shining uh beacon for democracy that we are. George Washington was an awful human being. And it doesn't get portrayed enough. And Ona Judge's story proves that. I know this one. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, You're right. The You're only right. piece that's ever been done on Ona Judge is a 30-minute crappy documentary that you can watch at Colonial Williamsburg, which we all know is a beacon of how society was back in those those glory early days of our, our country. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Ona Judge, uh, she was a slave. Uh, owned by George and Martha Washington um, and was 
she kind of came, she came, became high up in the family where she had a lot of responsibilities uh, that Martha Washington needed of her. Well, Ona decided uh, because, uh, and what the Washingtons did uh, back at the time during slavery, um, when George would come from Mount Vernon to Washington, uh, when he crossed that border, there was different slave laws at that time. <laughs> and basically it said after, uh, um, after a certain amount of time, um, in this area, uh, where Washington DC was, your slaves had to be set free. Mm -hmm. So in order to cross that George Washington would, or, or bypass that he would, he would have his slaves in Washington, a few of his slaves in Washington and right about the time that that date was going to expire. He moved them back to Mount. He may had them travel back to Mount Vernon in Virginia for a couple of weeks, and then come back and restart that cycle. Yeah. Um, but Ona Judge was one of these uh, slaves who kept wanting her freedom, and George and Martha would not give it to her, so she escaped. And there's a whole story about how she had to keep hiding from them, and how George and and how Martha was demanding she come back, and George was going, and Washington was going to use some of his presidential powers to send uh, people after her to get her back and uh, it's an amazing story that has not been told and you know you always hear this thing in our country about how he upon his death he freed 123 slaves first mm -hmm. off he had to wait till he died to free those slaves uh but in reality james how many slaves did he actually free do you know 10 i know you said james very few one that's what I thought. I thought it was one or two, but I, it was yeah. one slave. And because the rest were actually owned by Martha and she didn't want to give up her slaves. Uh, so, and Ona judge again, she spent the majority of her life in fear that she was going to be cat recaptured and sent back to Mount Vernon. Uh, even after Washington's death, because Martha did not want to give up that fight. Um, and then eventually she, uh, she, now she didn't, uh, she, she led a tragic life. All of her kids died um as they grew older um and she was left alone in a cabin but she eventually right before her death they finally uh said you know you are officially free it's an amazing story that has not been told you know other than other than if you go and pick up a book yeah well which uh, our country won't do <laughs> Is that, you know, the true. other part about that though chad the, and that the, the, chair over there right now supported by a book i picked up and put under it the uh wash uh you mentioned washington dc and this is a part of history uh I, now i will admit uh i need to but i just can't bring myself and by to. the way i am butchering the, the the actual history of ona judge uh for the sake of me talking for three minutes it is truly i probably even got some facts wrong in that brief synopsis but go look up her story go ahead jane well the, but but you bring up the washington dc uh slavery laws and this is what I always – I teach this when I teach the history of higher ed because it's not higher ed related directly, but it affects who had access to education in Washington, D.C. And I i must admit I need to. I keep saying I will, but I have not watched Spielberg's Lincoln movie, so you'll have to let me know if this is in that. You've seriously oh, never seen never Lincoln? Seen it? I'm shocked. No. James, no. it's a really good film. Does it cover the first Emancipation Proclamation? That is this the one signed? where he was going to send everybody to Nigeria? No, uh, it doesn't because Washington D.C. was still a slave state because it was part of Virginia. No, they didn't and, cover any of that. Okay, 
it's the emancipation. I'm sorry. This this this, this whole thing is him. And the whole the whole movie is them trying to get the votes to okay. pass uh, to uh, pass the the free freeing of slaves. Okay. Eight, and April the wrapping 16th, up of the Civil War. Sorry. Yeah. April 16th, 1862, District of Columbia Compensated Emancipation Act freed 3,000 individuals bound to labor. You'll notice it said compensation. They gave every slaveholder uh, a pretty tidy sum of money to release their slaves. Right. They did not give any money to the enslaved, but they gave it to the to slave right. owners, um, which is how he freed the slaves in D.C. That's a part of history not a lot of people dwell on. But if you, right. you can look it up, Emanci a Compensated Emancipation Act of April 16th, 1862. So your story reminded me of that because that's a part of history. People forget that Washington, D.C. was technically still a, a slave yes. during the Civil War. And so, or during the start of the Civil War, at least. And so Lincoln had to resolve that issue before he could address that other issue. And yeah. I think that's a fascinating part of history that tends to be left out of every Lincoln documentary, biography, et cetera, that I have ever seen. Well, yeah, they also leave out the dark sides of, of, of you know, well, and that's actually the thing that uh, there's a uh, um, uh, Jeremy Suri Suri S U R I. Um, he's an educational historian, but no. he has an entire video. I thought you were trying to say Seward. I thought it was isn't that his no. Secretary of State? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he has an entire video uh, you can catch online where he talks about how people have Lincoln wrong. Is that we because time has passed so far and we've somehow equated him to the founding fathers. We don't realize how much of a rebel he was in his own right to the political ideas of the time, that he was not an insider by any means, or that he was not this, oh, you know, like this slow, gentle giant that the way some people have portrayed him. Anyway, so. By the way, I was right. Secretary of State William H. Seward. <laughs> So anyway, no, I just thought your your point made me think of that point because it shows how much of our history, and it actually ties back to MLK and everything else. It, uh, how much we of our history we we glaze over for yeah. the point of ease of digestion, mm -hmm. ease of understanding. All right, James, is yep. is that your pick, or you want to? Do you uh, no, no, I, I actually, I'm sorry, you just made me think of that. I want no. to do one more. I won't dwell on this one as much, but. Um, I, I actually recently did a study about uh, the history of LGBTQIA plus populations. Uh, hopefully it'll be out in a volume relatively soon. But um, I'll pitch Everybody it. Everybody watch your toes. You just did a plug. I was going to say, when it comes out, believe me, I'm going to have a shirt made with the cover on it. I'm gonna, anyway, what does the I um, stand for? Uh, intersex. Genius. Intersex. Okay. Um, but. Not even going to, not even going to acknowledge that, Joe. What genius! What a lot of people yes, uh, that we've lost to history, largely due to the Nazis, um, was that a lot of the debates we were having in the seventies, eighties, nineties last week about uh, rights to marry, rights to identity, all of that stuff happened in the Weimar Republic and later early Nazi Germany. Uh, between uh, about 1870 and about 1925. And one of the key figures that, at, at that point was uh, Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld. 
uh, Hirschfeld, sorry, not Field, Feld. Um, he was a, a German scientist who was one of the first people that said, hey, why don't we think about this not as sin or not? Let's study this scientifically. Let's examine. And he wasn't alone. There's tons of other I could name drop all day long, but nobody's going to know who these people are. Um, and I don't say that dismissively. I had to do a lot of research to find some of this. But Hirsch is one of the first people to actually set up. He opened up um, at the t the study at the time was called they were called sexologists, but they use psychology. How do you apply biology. for that job? Um, well, uh, it didn't end well for Magnus. So let me let me finish on. So Magnus Hirschfeld opened up the first museum of sex. Yeah. Um, so he and it had a medical center. It had, and so he wasn't just studying. He wasn't just concerned about LGBTQIA plus populations. He wasn't just concerned. He wanted to understand so much about all these issues. Why do some people develop what we would now say is sex addiction, which is still debated? Why do some people have this? Why does and so he set all this up. And now again, the movie would if you did it warts and all, to use Joe's term, it would be complicated because he Why was using science for that. He was using the science of the 1880s through about 1920. But they have um, ghosts in their blood. They should do cocaine for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but he did so much. As a matter of fact, his institute is the one not to correct a, a certain Eddie Redmayne movie. But before that movie actually was set, he actually performed the first gender um, uh, affirmation surgery. Mm -hmm. um, he also gave jobs to people who didn't fit into gender conforming, which you got to remember, this was 1880s through 1920. There was a lot of people that didn't fit into what they thought their gender was supposed to be. And again, it wasn't just sexual relationships. He really looked at it all. Uh, so he's a complicated figure because some of his science is very dated now and very problematic. But um, the ending of the movie would be absolutely <laughs> heartbreaking. Um when the Nazis came to power, he was doing a world tour. He had spoken in America. He spoke in Japan. He had spoke around the world about, hey, we need to give these people rights. Um, a group of, of uh, young uh, Nazi students and a Nazi band came to the museum, which, again, had a hospital, had research center, had all that stuff, raided it, took the statue uh, they, they had somebody had donated a bust of him, put it on a spike, and uh, later destroyed it and burned it. He was on tour still because they came there for him. They were going to drag him out, but they didn't know he was on a tour. Uh, he was in, I believe, um, I don't know where he was when it happened, but he saw the news highlights that covered it in a movie theater in Paris as they destroyed all of his life's work. Um, one of the people who took it over that was a Nazi-approved scientist later would contact him through an intermediary and offer him the chance to buy back some of his own books. Uh, but they had to be approved before they could do it. And so he did get some of his stuff back. He tried to reopen the Institute in Paris, but because of the war and everything else. Um, and one of his last uh, requests um, that he wrote in his journal, his diary, was that he wanted to outlive Hitler. He did not manage to do that. He died shortly thereafter. He was heartbroken and all that stuff. But it's really a fascinating story 
about we think about these people that we we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that this quest for equity or this quest for access started with Stonewall and it goes back to the 1880s. Matter of fact, he started a um, petition to repeal paragraph 175, which was the German code to ban any form of non non-reproductive or uh, sexual orientation. So if you, you know, uh, were into self-pleasure or anything else, you could technically, once the Nazis came to power, it wasn't really enforced until then, but once the Nazis came to power, you could technically be uh, taken away for that. And um, his, James he started the pressing as hell. He started the petition to get rid of it. No, I think it's, yeah, I think man. it's restorative. He started the petition the only person to get more rid depressing of it. was Chad. Actually, and, no, I think, I think you both, I think we've all just ended in a very depressing subject. Trying um, I, he started I haven't the, finished. He started the petition to get rid of. I've got one That's more, Joe, true. and it's more light beat. He started the petition to get rid of that in the 1870s. I, uh, signers included Thomas Mann, a young Albert Einstein, and a ton of other people, which is how it connects to education. He literally used the German research universities and all of these things. And again, there are tons of other people involved. I'm not minimizing, but he's a fascinating character that I don't think we've seen a lot about in film. And it could actually restore some of this that's been kind of lost to mainstream history. There you go. Magnus Hirschfeld, Mario Savio, Magnus Hirschfeld. My next lighthearted, I'll end on a lighthearted note. I'm going to skip uh, the next one because I did kind of two in the last one anyway, and I don't really have, I, you guys are just killing it. Chad. Uh, I think there needs to be a doc, uh, a biographical film on Johnny Carson. Yeah, I agree with that 100% because the one I was going to talk about, they technically did do a movie with Andre 3000. I was going to talk about Jim, but I don't think there's never my quick one. And this was, it doesn't really fit because they did do a movie, but they've never done a biopic of Jimi Hendrix. An actual taking of Jimi. I believe there's one, there was a VH1 television film on Jimi Hendrix. There's a, there's, they've, there's never been a big biopic of Hendrix. So, and there has never been a biopic of, of Johnny Carson. And I think that is a story that needs to be told his meteoric rise to talk, to, to turn the tonight show into the cultural icon Mm -hmm. that it still is to this day, even though thankfully I think, I think nighttime talk television shows are kind of going slowly away. Um, they're just not what they used to be. And also too, just when you have so many channels and so many other things, well, yeah, but, but but at the, but at the time, Johnny Carson, three television shows, if you were stayed up past the news, that's what you look forward to. But also too, it could, and you know, you have your, his relationship with, uh, Ed McMahon and, you know, he, he does ability to be a star maker. Yeah. I mean, he, he, uh, comedians, Nobody really, uh, if you don't understand, comedians, if you got on Carson, that's how you knew you made it. You got uh, a TV, for most of the time, if you were on Carson, the next day you got a you got a TV deal. Yeah, yeah, the, um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the author. He's a comedian. Why am I forgetting? He's not. Behind the Laughter is the book that he wrote because he did Carson uh, right after his daughter was born. And then his daughter, unfortunately, um became ill and would pass away and he was doing Carson again after she died but he even tells the story the first time he did Carson they told him if you go out and you're getting ready to walk off and you see Johnny do this 
I don't care what else anybody else tells you. You go and sit on the couch. Yeah, you're you're, you're made. If 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 you're a stand up comedian and Johnny Carson calls you to the couch, which uh, back in the day comedians would come out, they would do their stand up, and if and then they would just say bye, and he would come out and shake their hand. But if they did, a, if they made him laugh and he really liked their stand up, he would call them to the couch and they would have a brief interview. And but hold say, on, and, depending on who you talk about, this is something I found out even this week. There are people knew that they were going to the couch. Oh yeah, oh, I'd say, and that's the and entire so thing. there is a little bit of a bullshit haze about uh, I didn't, and then calling him over now. There, but Drew Carey didn't know he was going to. Apparently, get Drew Carey's one, and apparently there was somebody else I can't remember. But there is most of because most of the time they knew. I'm not saying no, again, no, no. I didn't know about it, Chad. Till yeah. I, I'm talking about. I'm I found this out this weekend. It was Dennis, um, Dennis Miller. Yeah. talked about it that a lot of it's bullshit now the other thing is too you also need to cover the dark side because yeah he can make your career but he can also ruin it and he did yeah. not blink at ruining joan rivers is the prime example but did, uh, he didn't ruin her he didn't ruin it but he cut he, her off he cut her off because uh, Joan Rivers was his. Uh, it was when he went on vacation. Joan Rivers was his 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 replacement for those times. But then she decided she wanted her own show, and he did. And then pissed Johnny Carson off, and he cut her off. And it but, also went. She her talk show went. Her talk show didn't last long, and then he would not have her back. They didn't talk for years. I don't think they ever did talk again. But he wasn't. He was an asshole, and that's one part that should be covered. That 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 people don't talk about is how awful of a person he actually was in a lot of cases. The comedian that I was thinking of that wrote Behind the Laughter uh, is Anthony Griffith, and he tells the story. and And his story is he did not get the wave over. But he's he tells the story if he was walking to his car after it was over, and he said, All of a sudden, I heard, Hey, and uh, he said, I turned around, it was Johnny Carson was yelling from the he was walking to his car, which was, of course, right there, <laughs> right? And he, he said, So I ran over, and he said, Uh, he said, I liked you, I liked you a lot. He said, When are you coming back? And he said, Mr. Carson, you tell me when I'm going to come back, and he goes, I'll make a call. And he said, It's they had already set up when he was going to come back because he's at, and all it took was a call from Carson saying, I liked you. He, <laughs> he didn't get the wave over to the couch, right? but he was funny enough to get to come back. And so yeah. that's, yeah, no, it's fascinating. Yeah. That's, that's my other pick. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, my final one, unless we want to do more, but I, I, nah, I said this before, good. but I want to do it a certain way. And and I think it's hard to do a biography when somebody's still alive, but I really want to do this because I think so many people know this figure, but we know very little about this figure outside of broad strokes. And he's been in everything. He's all around. I want a biography of Tom Hanks. Really? I do. And but I don't want I don't want Honestly, I was I I, I thought about this. Nick Nolte. I I thought about this half jokingly, Nick but Nolte actually, the so more funny. I thought about it, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, I want this. I uh, want a biography of Tom Hanks that explores how do you go from doing a show like Bosom Buddies to literally being Tom Hanks. Um, I don't want Tom Hanks Jimmy to play Stewart Tom of Hanks. his generation. I was gonna say, and that's it. Here's what I want. I want AI generated Jimmy Stewart in the role of Tom Hanks. 
And I want Tom Hanks to play whoever got in Tom Hanks's way. Oh, I tell you, I, man, I like Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Jimmy Stewart probably had more screen presence, but I wonder if Tom Hanks is more of a versatile actor. I don't know. That's a good... I, I, God, there's no, so many I, great Jimmy Stewart roles, though. I there can't is. say that. I can't, well, and I was about I to say, here's the thing that I... And here's why Tom I struggle Hanks with Tom Hanks. One of them's not It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it is a very good it's a very good role i do actually i would say no but jimmy stewart in that when he loses his temper with his own kids yes it's so good he's, that is he's, uh, that is perfect jimmy acting that is he is together. he does that so well but no and, and that's the entire thing i think that's why i struggle with tom the Hanks. best part about that movie is the kid who got his it slapped so hard his ear bled now that's that, acting that was that was yeah the young george um but anyway uh no, I think that's my. I think that would address some of my problems with Tom. And by the way, if Tom Hanks hears this, a, I'll be shocked. But b, I really do enjoy a lot of Tom Hanks. But one of my favorite Tom Hanks roles, a lot of my favorite Tom Hanks roles, are the ones where he's not playing traditional Tom Hanks roles. Agreed. Yeah, I love Lady Killers. His role in Lady Killers is just a lot of fun because I didn't see him doing it, and that made what he did so much more phenomenal. Uh, catch me if you can. He's so good and catch me if you can. Knock, knock. It's all the times when he, because I think that's it. He's gotten to the point where he plays, and I really enjoyed News of the uh, News of the World. Yeah, I enjoyed I that too. too. I enjoyed News of the World, and I thought it was. I mean, he's still playing that, but he's more complicated in that than he is in some of his other roles. And I know, again, if Tom Hanks here, who cares what I think? But I really am fascinated when, because I do think I do think he has so much talent. But I think sometimes he's almost—I don't know if it's typecast is the right word when you've hit that level. But he's almost typecast in in a way as this American everyman when he really does a great job. I'd almost love to see them write a role for Christopher Walken, but give it to Tom Hanks and let's see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, because I think oh, he could do it. I would still prefer a biopic on Nick Nolte or Rip Torn. Um, uh, Rip Torn, maybe the Nick Nolte. Uh, there, there's something oh, I, I feel like Nick Nolte's done a lot of it. If, if you've ever sat and watched some of his interviews, he he tends to, there's a, probably not a lot to delve into. But hey, Chad, I got another one for you. You said Rip Torn. How about Rip Taylor? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I don't know much about that man's history, but I know, man, Amazon Women on the Moon was. <laughs> Head of the funeral. <laughs> so your husband died, huh? Oh. Plus, Rip Taylor did that entire song with the Bloodhound Gang. But how many are going to know Rip Taylor? Well, but but if we don't do a biography, who will? Who will know? <laughs> it's not, how many people? How many people know who Tiny Tim is? Well, I was, I, saying, I was a reason why I was happy that you actually explained it. I was about to say, Joe, is this it? Are we going to have to be the people that bring Rip Taylor back? Uh, yeah, I'm bringing Rip Taylor back. <laughs> well, you should probably bring Rip Taylor back. But anyway, no, no, I just so anyway. That's I, I think there's so many because I do think it's hard for me to think of anybody else, and I'm not always a raving Tom Hanks fan. Um, but I, I it's so hard for me to think about. Uh. Another has made a actor. good film since the Burbs. Another living actor. That's a great movie too. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, but it's hard <laughs> to think of of another living actor that I'm like, how did this happen? 
Like, don't get me wrong. I'd love to watch a Christopher Walken biopic because how do you go from wanting to be a dancer to being Christopher well, Walken? Ron Howard talked about him in an interview I watched one time, and then we probably need to wrap up. Yeah. Ron Howard talked about working with him in, in Splash and saying he was so good as long as he was doing something. Yeah. Like, you're giving something to do in scenes. That makes sense. He had to have business. There had to be something going. He's so good. And then by the time Apollo 13 came, he didn't have to do anything. And there's a scene... And part of it's Steven Spielberg's brilliance. And then the other part of it's just the two actors. And I can't remember the second actor's name, uh, but it's him saving Private Ryan when the skinny guy is looking for his orders and he's, he's got his orders and he's going around the tent. It's just a wonder. It's called a Spielberg wonder. We all know it's just one shot that takes, takes and takes. And Hanks ain't doing much. And you are paying attention to Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the same thing with... Um... Greyhound? Greyhound. Anybody else see Greyhound? Mm -mm, I haven't seen it. That's one of those Apple movies, right? Apple, yeah. It's Oh, and uh the, a man named called a man named Otto. I enjoyed the hell out of that too. Which is actually a man named Ove, but they changed it for Right, somebody. because it's a remake, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um but uh well it's based on the book, man. But anyway, um Greyhound, if you get a chance, if you get Apple for a week <laughs> or if you have Apple, Greyhound has no right to be good. And actually, to be honest, it is one of those films that I thought they could have used somebody other than Tom Hanks. But the the last scene in that film, they're un, a little bit of background. It's based on a true story, as are many things. But they're on a boat, and it's there's the area that they the planes can't reach anymore. And they call it kind of, it's not called the dead zone, but it's something like that. And... Um, he's the captain, and so the planes fly you out that far, and then they have to go back to refuel. And from there on, there's about a 60-mile span that the German U-boats could get you, and there was nothing they could do uh, to help you. And they get attacked, and there's a fleet of four or five ships, and he's the captain of one of the ships. His performance is fine. His performance is good. The part that made me go, oh, he nailed this, is at the very end of the movie, he's been standing the entire time. He won't eat. He's worried about his crew. He's When people die, there's an entire scene. He hasn't slept. And there's an entire scene where the, the ship's cook, who is African-American, as probably would have been at that time, is killed. Yeah. He's, a, a, a explosion goes off in the boat and kills him. And they bring him his, they bring him food. And the cook's name, I think, is George. And he goes, thanks, George. And then he shakes his head because he's exhausted. He is, and he's shell-shocked and he's hurting. And, you know, the, the cook goes, uh, it's, it's Tom or something. And he goes, I, I know, I know, I know. That's not it. All, that could have been played by anybody else. At the very end of the movie, I'm not giving anything away, I don't think. But um, he goes back to his quarters after they're finally through it. They've managed to survive. They've lost lives. He buries the dead at sea because it's his job as captain. And he goes back and he's taking off his shoes. And there's blood in them because he hasn't sat down in over a day. Oh. And he's been running. And he just sets them down and he kneels and he prays and goes to bed. And that's how the movie ends. And that scene was more impactful than a lot of other things I've seen him do lately. And again, Tom Hanks, if you hear this, I know who the hell am I? But I was like, that point, I was like, oh, this this works. This is Tom Hanks doing something where I'm like, oh, man, the rest of the movie's great. It's good. But it didn't have to be Tom Hanks. That scene, the way he played it, 
where he's just exhausted, he's beat down, and he's mm-hmm. hurting, and he's, I mean, he's tore up. And all he can do is pray and hope that he gets to make it home and go to bed. That's it. That's how the movie ends. And that's where we should let Chad get some sleep. Before he starts bleeding in his shoes. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) So thank you all so much for Bonehead. We will see you next week. Grrrr. <sniffs>